I'm Belinda. This reading is from John 10 verses 14 to 18. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Thanks so much, Belinda. The next reading is from John 21, verses 15 to 20. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? Hi, my name's Hamish and today's passage is from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Well, good morning, church. It's wonderful to gather again as a church community here online. Do you think it's getting harder to do church this way? I'm still encouraged to see the comments, to see different faces, to hear your prayers and to be um, growing under God's word and spirit together. I wonder what's got you tuning in today or any week that you join us. What motivates us to keep going? The passage we read from 1 Peter today focuses on order and relationships in the church and how having the right, right motives in place is very important. 
I think motives are really interesting things. There's two kinds of motivation that people talk about. Intrinsic, coming from within, and extrinsic motivations. So if we think about cleaning up our rooms, for example, some of us clean up our rooms because we actually really like tidying up. We enjoy uh, the satisfaction we get from creating order out of chaos. When we're done and we stand back, we feel great about it. We're intrinsically motivated. But then some of us don't really mind mess too much. And we don't like the effort that it takes to sort the clothes out and put them away and take the rubbish out and file papers. These kinds of people usually need to be told to tidy their rooms and they need some kind of extrinsic motivator, either a reward. So, you know, once you've tidied your room, you can watch that movie that you've been looking forward to or a negative one, like a punishment. Um, If you don't tidy your room, then you won't be able to catch up with your friends. Well, Peter talks about both the intrinsic and extrinsic motivations we need to have when we relate to each other in the church. He speaks to the elders in the church, the younger ones, and then to everyone all together. And we're going to work through these three in turn. Well, firstly, and this is the lengthy part, he speaks to the elders. And from verse 2, we can take elders to mean anyone who's been given authority to lead or have responsibility over others in the church. Peter writes, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Well, we've seen Peter's leadership of the church in Asia Minor through the letter. His desire for them to be obedient to Jesus. His equipping of them to endure persecution and live in the culture in a way that glorifies God. He encouraged them to hold on to the teachings that he'd received from Jesus himself. And if you can see in verse 1 here, Peter reminds them that he's actually a witness of Jesus' death and resurrection. He personally knew Jesus and was commissioned by him to continue his ministry. And here he's kind of calling on these elders to continue the same ministry that he's had with them. The image of shepherds looking after the flock is an image that Jesus used for himself. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. So elders in the church are to look after Jesus' flock. The church belongs to him and not to them or to Peter. Even now, those of us who are elders in the church look after Jesus' flock. He is the chief shepherd. And it's worth pointing out that all Christians belong to the flock. We are all sheep. And yet some are given responsibility to care for the sheep as well. For our purposes today, I want us to think broadly about who this could be speaking to in our own church. In the New Testament, there were different kinds of leadership roles established, deacons, elders, and so on. But what Peter has to say to the elders here is important for any of us who leads or takes responsibility in the church. We need to hear it so we can have healthy, thriving church culture. So from our church council to our staff team, to anyone who teaches, or has pastoral care responsibilities in our community, to community group leaders, to youth group leaders, to kids ministry leaders, and so on, hear what Peter says to the elders here. It's not enough to get the job done. You must have the right motivations. Look in verse two, he says, don't lead out of obligation because you must, do it because you want to. God wants us to be willing, willing to serve him by watching over over his people. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever come across church leaders who don't really want to be there. They do it because they have to. They're stressed, they're burned out, or their faith is dying off. They've stopped really believing the good news of the gospel even. But they persist in the job because what else will they do? What else do they know? This happens and it's not good. It's not about shepherding the flock. It's just dry and duty-bound work. In verse 2, he says, don't lead for dishonest gain. So don't lead because you see it as a way of getting ahead, for making money or gaining power or status. Ministry might seem to you a strange place to fulfill those kinds of desires in our world. But unfortunately, this is as old a motivation as the Bible himself. I wouldn't be surprised if Peter had Judas in mind as he says this. Judas, who was his friend and a fellow disciple of Jesus. But it turned out he loved money too much. He gave Jesus over in order to get rich and disqualified himself from leadership by his betrayal. In our world today, this still goes on. If you've seen the program American Gospel on Netflix or YouTube, I highly recommend it. You'll know that the story of today's televangelists is that they are taking advantage of vulnerable people building extravagant lives from the offerings of the church and calling it God's blessing on themselves. But it's not. They preach a false message and they're hurting the people that God loves. Don't lead for dishonest gain. Do it for the good of others, Peter says here, to serve others and to serve them eagerly. Consider the needs of those you lead before your own gain. And then in verse 3, he says, do not lead so you can lord it over others. That is, don't be bossing people around or insisting on your own way without consultation. Bullying and abuse are the worst forms of this kind of wrong motive for leadership. And I know that some of us have been burned by this. This kind of church leadership erodes trust and makes it so hard for people to grasp the grace and mercy of our loving God and to trust him. So don't lord it over others. Instead, Peter says, be an example to the flock. So leaders, you have to do first what you are asking others to do. Lead the way. This takes vulnerability and courage to step out and invite others to join you as you seek to obey Jesus and live out the kind of life the gospel demands. This is what being an example is. So elders are given authority to lead in the church, but they are not to be authoritarian. Now, wrong motivation in church leadership has bad outcomes. We've talked about that, and it's easy to point the finger at the extreme examples. But how do these things happen? Now, sadly, there are some leaders who are opportunistic from the start. They've never genuinely been part of the flock of Jesus. He describes them as wolves in sheep's clothing. But for those who are genuine, it's important to know that our hearts, to know our own hearts and to be careful to examine our motives so we can serve other people well and with love. We need to grow in this kind of leadership and subtle issues can become a problem. Now, it's a tricky exercise. Desires, there's all kinds of desires and fears that can threaten our leadership. Um, For example, I'll use myself. Sometimes I admit I lead out of duty. And that's because I overstretch myself. 
rather than rest or leave things till later, I keep going. Why do I do that? No one's telling me to keep going. In fact, sometimes people are telling me to stop. Even Jesus sets the example of taking time away to rest and pray. But sometimes my desire to accomplish things, to feel good about myself, is what's motivating me. Or because I want to please other people, to please you. I don't want to be seen as a slacker or less than competent. When I think about this, I realize that these are selfish desires. And when I'm led by them, I get tired and my eagerness to serve you diminishes. If I'm not careful, it will become a pattern and a problem for all of you. Well, what about you? Do you ever lead out of duty or for some kind of personal gain? Do you enjoy being looked up to or respected? Or is the opposite in play? Perhaps you hesitate to take up Christian leadership. You've been tapped on the shoulder to take some responsibility for a group at church. Or maybe even a Christian leader has suggested you think about coming, becoming a candidate for ministry in the church. But maybe you fear that your relationships will change because of this, or you'll lose the lifestyle that you have, or the respect of others. We all experience these kinds of feelings. Our motives are mixed, and taking the time to examine them prayerfully is a good step. God will reveal what's going on in our hearts and what's most important to us. But what do we do when leadership is just hard work? Well, Peter gives us extrinsic motivation as well. There is a reward, he says, for those who look after God's flock willingly, eagerly, and by example. See in verse 4, he says, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I wonder how you feel about that, or if you can even imagine it. This was very real for Peter. He saw the resurrected Jesus and watched him ascend to heaven. Peter holds Jesus' promise to return one day and share his glory with us as a very real motivation to not give up or give in to selfish desires now. It's God's approval that matters in the end. Well, now to the younger ones in the church. And Peter says simply to them, younger ones are to submit to the elders. Sounds simple, right? But... Um, I think we need to unpack it a little bit more, don't you think? Firstly, let's think about the term younger. Well, we don't divide the church up by age. Sometimes you will be led by people in the church who are younger than you. There's that famous example in the New Testament of Timothy. Paul has to encourage him not to let people look down on him just because he's younger, but also an elder. Eldership in the church is more about how long someone's been a Christian and how far they have matured in their faith. So age can seem like a factor, but just not always. And the older you get, as I'm discovering, the more likely it is that you'll have elders who are younger than you. And also you might be an elder in one circumstance, but then there will still be elders over you um, in other circumstances. Peter's my boss, for example, and we have bishops over us that we submit to as well. You might lead youth ministry on a Friday night and be listening and growing under leadership of someone else on Sunday or in your community group. Now to that word submission. I want to say very clearly that submission is a voluntary act of the will. It can't be insisted upon or coerced by elders. 
To submit to church leaders is to follow their lead. It's not obedience to them. The only call to obedience Peter makes in this letter is for all of us to be obedient to Jesus. And Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, is the one who works in our hearts, persuading each and every one of us to live obediently to him. So, submitting to church elders looks like listening to them as they continue to teach and remind us of God's word so we can obey Jesus. It looks like respecting their authority to make decisions about the direction of the church and following their example. You can certainly question or dialogue in these spaces and try to persuade otherwise at times. But we need to do that humbly um, when we're bringing our own ideas into the picture. I want to add too that you'd be wise not to submit to a church leader if they were leading you in any of those negative ways that the Apostle Peter describes here and I've talked about. You know, submission is not so hard if your leaders are servant leaders. But there still will be times when you won't want to do it because of your own motivations. They will make mistakes and frustrate you. And at times you'll be tempted to take control or to undermine or to change directions of things because you think differently or you just want things to be more comfortable for you. It's a big call that Peter is asking of all of us for elders to put the needs of others first and willingly and for all of us to submit to those in leadership in the church over us. Hard to do well, hard to do consistently. But the thing that will help us to get traction is to see that Jesus has done all these things already. He is the perfect example of servant leadership and submission. In Matthew 9, Jesus looks at the crowds of people coming to him and it says he sees that they were like sheep without a shepherd. He is moved by this. He has compassion for them. Jesus worked long days healing and consoling, teaching and raising up leaders like himself. And he punctuated it with time away to rest and seek God's face in prayer. He wanted God's approval. He put his disciples before himself, kneeling down to wash their dirty feet. And Jesus never asked anyone to do anything he wasn't prepared to do himself. Take up your cross and follow me, he said. And he led the way in the ultimate act of leadership when he went to the cross to die in our place. I am the good shepherd, he says, who lays down his life for the sheep. And on his way to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew that his own will was weakened. And no doubt he was tempted to preserve himself, his own life. But what did he do? He submits himself. He submitted himself to the will of his heavenly Father. Not my will, but yours, he said. And so because he submitted to God, he makes it possible for us to do the same, to submit ultimately to him by trusting those who are appointed to lead us in his ways for the good of our own life together. And now the final instruction in this passage is to everyone. In verse 5, clothe yourselves with humility. Like getting dressed each morning, we need to make a daily choice about how we will relate to one another. 
what will we choose? We could choose pride, stubbornness, self-reliance, personal gain. But Jesus wore humility and we want to be like him. And it looks good on us. Let's pray. Our Lord God, you oppose the proud, but show favour to the humble. Shape our hearts so we can first desire your love and leading in our lives. Increase our love for you and for your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.